You're listening to The Process with Peter Martin, presented by Open Studio Network. What's going on? I want to welcome back to The Process the wonderful, fantastic Mr. Gregory Hutchinson. Why are you pointing your finger at me? There's no one in the studio with us. <laughs> I just want to say with Warren, we had no edits. We already have three edits and we haven't even started this show. All right, let's do it. Let's keep it. Now we're keeping that one. No, let's keep it. Let's keep it, man. good to be here pete thank you brother yes so uh greg we uh we had so much fun in part one and we got a little bit cut off and there's so much more to talk about so thanks for being back here i know you've been around the world and back about three and a half times since we last talked (laughs) you know playing music and uh it was a pleasure to be a little bit a part of some of those gigs so as always you know sharing music sharing memories sharing life it's it's a pleasure thank you man it's always good to come to the loo Right, we're my here. homies. As as I put up some some signs and shit no, that no one can see. Yeah, be careful. Welcome <laughs> to the loo. No, hey guys, you guys are doing a great job uh, with everything that we're trying to do here. Uh, I see my homie Warren Wolf sitting over here, so you know you guys are definitely going in the right direction. It's always good to sit and talk about the music and the things that we've done, and so let's. Let's reminisce down memory lane. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, we had such a great response to part one of this, and you were our inaugural podcast for the process here at Open Studio Network. Um, and we, you know, we were kind of talking about Ray Brown. We had you talked about your career right up to Ray Brown, and there was so much there. I mean, for most drummers, that would have been like a lifetime and a half. But yeah. the interesting thing about that was, I think that really only took you up to like around age thirty or so, kind of early thirties, right? With Ray? Yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, around that time. 20, let's see, yeah. 96, 20, maybe 26, 27, right? 26, okay. See, guys, this is what happens. (laughs) (laughs) And we're exactly the same age. This is why you should write all this stuff down while it's happening so you can reminisce on it and be correct in your facts. Yeah, I mean, we're both born in 1970, so it should be easy. We just add up the dates, but I have that same problem, you know. I'm like, wait, 26, 36, but... In any case, I mean, you know, the amazing thing is, like, you were playing, I remember hearing that trio a bunch and even getting a chance to play with that trio Mm -hmm. a little bit, and the way that you and Ray hooked up was such a high level of musicianship and really just ageless. Like, I mean, you were a young gun, Mm -hmm. and he was an old head, but I mean, y'all, it wasn't even like meeting in the middle, it was just meeting in the music. Yeah, that's, yeah, wow, that's, I like that, Pete. And I, and I mean, you know, I, I know just from hearing and even getting a chance to talk to Ray Brown a little bit and him talking to other folks, you know, how you were just one of his favorite drummers of all time and how you really fit in that lineage. And I'm just wondering now, like, you know, having a few years to kind of reflect on that. And since, you know, we lost Ray and I know what mm-hmm. what an influence he was on you, not only musically, but just, you know, as a, as a man, mm-hmm. um, you know, being able to reflect on that kind of from a historical perspective, what it was like to be a part of just such a giant in the music 
at, at really a pivotal time for him because he was just still playing so great and, and really at the peak of his game. Well, you know, it to me, every, everything that you were saying about us meeting in the music, that really summed up uh, who Ray was and his ability to, I think, make everyone feel good and his ability to also be the chief and his ability to to give and go uh, in the music was was the thing that I found really uh, fascinating about him. Uh, take away the fact that it was Ray Brown and as you guys know you sit on the road and you hear all these stories and but he always had this way of welcoming everyone in <clears throat> but then at the same time you also realize once you hit the bandstand that he was you know he was really pretty incredible I mean as a musician he just didn't have any any flaws really I mm -hmm. mean he, you know you know you got a chance to play with us and um he and it's funny because when you came to play, he was like, "I like that young guy, Peter Martin." Yeah, you know, he would always say something. I was like, "Oh wow, okay." You know, so he was checking out the young cats. You know, he did know who the people were, who right. the cats were, and um, and in terms of being a man, in terms of becoming a man, he was the perfect uh, influence for me to be around. Um, you know, he's all about his business. Everyone will tell you he was the shrewdest business person. Um, but at the same time, he liked to have so much fun. He golfed all the time. Like he, mm -hmm. I think, you know, that's, if we can all get to that point in our lives playing music where, yeah, he went and played, but not because he had to go play, you know. He was smart with his money, so he was good right. that way. But at the same time, he lived life. He still did other things. He went on vacations. He golfed. You know, he did mm -hmm. all kinds of things. He had a nice house. Hey, Cecilia, how you doing? Mm. And um, and so yeah, I think that all of that made him able to be the man he was and influence all of the great musicians that he did. Right, right. Yeah, I mean he was like, he was one of those those guys that I think you know when we were younger and still thinking back on him, we would see you know he had the beautiful crib in the valley in L.A. and you know had his stuff you know had played on all these legendary records, led his whole his own bands, and we were kind of like wow, just to be around. This, you know, this guy, but but also to see him, and, and I mean, thinking back, he wasn't that old, but no, to he, us he was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, another generation, but to yeah. see that that level of facility and just inspiration and just effortlessness, and to think that okay, maybe I'm not going to be Ray Brown, but to be able to be playing at that age, that was always inspiring. I mean, like I see Herbie and Chicory and pianist, but any instrument, you know, it, it really inspires us. I think to think that we can be doing that and having fun and making a living for quite some time. Exactly. And, you know, you you touched on something that is like, this is not, I was talking about this the other day. His level of musicianship and the way that he was able to get around the bass still at this time period that you're talking about was still by far, you know, uh, I, top two, mm -hmm. you know, like, there was no let off to me, and that beat, you know, we talk about having a beat, and just, uh, sometimes I felt like I was being, like I was like, the, the sleigh and the dogs were pulling me, like, oh, right, right, and right. he'd just take, take a couple of beats, boy, and if you weren't careful, you'd be lost.
He, he kept it up. He maintained that high level the, his whole career. Right, right. All the way up until the end. Right. And I just want to say for, you know, for <coughs> drummers or really for any musicians, don't hear this and say, okay, oh, well, Greg Hutchinson, yeah, he's, he, he's a bad dude because he's playing with Ray Brown. And obviously you learn so much from him. But we can all, I mean, like we were at a workshop a couple weeks mm -hmm. ago together in Rome. And I Rome sat Summer in, Jazz, what's up, baby? That's right. And I sat in on one of your classes and you said something that, was so insightful and applicable to everybody on their instruments and that was like things that records that you listened to that you learned about when you were in high school and even younger you played along with them mm -hmm. you were like i played with jimmy garrison i played mm -hmm, with mm -hmm. you know so i mean everybody has that ability to do it yeah if yeah. you're lucky enough to be in a situation and prepared enough like yeah. you were to play with ray brown you earned that but before you'd even play with him you knew his stuff you oh knew yeah his beat yeah and you'd been listening to it so there's that preparation we talk about the process that's I know a big part of your philosophy, you know. Yep. And and I can just tell everybody that's not just some stuff that Greg says. I see. I've seen it throughout your career. Yeah, the preparation. I mean, I I like to make people think this way. We're blessed enough to play to play music, right? And it's funny because we just had a conversation about this the other day, Wolf. <clears throat> and I'll just put this out there for everyone so that they can understand what I'm going to say. We're blessed enough to be able to play music, right? It's a it's a talent that's bestowed upon us, right? So with that said, it's our duty to, to always be prepared um, to do our best, to always try and play the music to our best ability. So the only way you can do that is you have to listen and you have to learn. And it's no different than, you know, I, I like to compare it to being a lawyer. Like a lawyer, you have case, case histories, cases that you have to know, important cases that you... The same thing in music. Or if you're a classical musician, there's repertoire that you have to know, right? So it should be the same way that we approach jazz. And sometimes I feel that, you know, people just take it lightly because it's this word jazz and it's right. like they're not serious about it. But, you know, if you look at all the, the cats, all the top cats, the cats that we aspire to be like, all the masters, <clears throat> they did that. Right. You know, that was, and not only did they do the listening, but it was just the camaraderie of the hang that made them all get better. And I, sometimes I think that's missing today with, with uh, there's a lot of cats and everybody knows each other, but the camaraderie, the real closeness of, of that, that thing which made the music so incredible. And it's not to say that it's not incredible now, but sometimes I do miss like that particular thing. And I wish, you know, I wish I could have gotten a glimpse of maybe just to come back in time, just one day, like maybe 1966 <laughs> and <laughs> <Right>. 2.43 afternoon, no. <laughs> but those are, you know, just to be able to feel what that felt like. Right, 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 right. Cool. So I want to I wanna fast forward a little bit. I mean, you've, you've played with so many people and interesting situations, and, and um, but I, I just want to kind of jump to a few. Um, Let's go forward to when you started working with Joshua Redman. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, contrasting with Ray Brown, you're playing with, you know, a legend, a living yeah. legend. Um, and then going to the band with Joshua Redman, Ruben Rogers, and Aaron Goldberg, I believe was the quartet when you yeah. came in the group. Um, I know you would played with them earlier in your career. We talked about that a little bit. But when you, that sort of second iteration of your time with him, that's, you know, you're really looking at a group of just top players, your peers, your own age group. So that's kind of stepping into a, a time when I felt like that group, you know, had so much creativity and energy. And I mean, I had played in the group a little before that with, with, with different musicians, 
Josh being the only same one, but when you guys came in, it was such an exciting period in terms of what you guys recorded and played live too, but it was a very creative and thoughtful period, I thought, for Josh and for the whole, and was a real band. It's funny because uh, Ray's thing was coming to an end for me, and we parted ways great. You know, I just wanted to do something different. And then first, Chick called, and uh, Chick called and Josh called at the same time. Uh, so, uh, not to go into any politics, but I just uh, I knew that Chick had. Some of my friends would play it in the drum seat, and I just thought that you know it was better off that I, I leave them to that to play there and continue that. And I, I wanted to go with Josh, so we went with Josh and we started. And you know, like you said, everything evolves. Um, the sound of the band when we first got together, and now some almost 20 years later, it's completely different. But it was it was nice in in the fact that you know. You and myself, we came from playing with Roy Hargrove, so that was a hell of a band. Yeah. You know, so to go into another band situation, it was like I was, I kept comparing it to that. It had to be that or better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it was different. And, you know, and because we're older, of course it gets better. But that was my criteria. I was like, I remember those days with Roy, and so it was like, that's what I wanted in the band, you know, that fire. Mm -hmm. And Josh is a very quiet, but it's a lot of fire there. You know, don't don't be misunderstood. Don't misunderstand him. I should say, right? Um, he has a lot of fire, and the way he thinks about music, and the way he shapes the shows, you know, he's really thoughtful in that way. I think he's right. one of the few cats that really thinks about the audience, and the perception from the audience. And as you know, he remembers every single set from every place he's ever played. Right, right. And he won't go back and play that same those same songs that's again. That's right. If he so does, that's, there's a reason for it. it. Yeah, <laughs> and so that's kind of rare. I mean, people don't usually think about that. And so that's the thing that makes him that way. And so we started playing all this kind of odd-time songs, which up until that point I hadn't really done a lot of. But the more we started to do it, the more I just realized that it was no different than... than playing in force that you just have to find different ways to approach what's going on. So we all were going on this venture together of learning how to play music a different way. Mm -hmm. And and it still is evolving today, you know. We don't go as much as we used to, but hopefully that'll we'll, hopefully we'll do a record and put out some of these songs we've been playing for the last couple of years and never <laughs> recorded. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but the industry changes, so all those bands, everything that you're talking about now is so different now in right. the industry. It's like very few bands. Right, right. You know, it's Peter Martin trio, right? You know. <laughs> well, and I think that you know, when you, the, the first, and that's part of the reason I wanted to talk about this too, is because mm. your relationship with Josh continues to today. I mean, you played just a few days ago at Monterey uh, Jazz yeah, Festival with that yeah. exact same quartet. Yeah. And I know that there's also been a lot of trio work without piano. So you're looking at you know going on getting close to 20 years, I guess. Yeah, exactly, man. Of different iterations of that yeah. with Josh and. It's so cool for me to see in the recordings. And I know at that beginning time, um, like, what was it, Timeless Tales? Yeah. You know, that record, that was still when there was, like, jazz records coming out, and they were, like, 
Um, that wasn't timeless. Oh, what was the, what was the first? Without blade. <laughs> no, no, we'll, we'll cut this. We'll cut this part out. No, leave it. Record? Leave it. It's all good, man. Oh, we had passes of time. That was passes and, and beyond. Oh, that was beyond. That's yeah, beyond. That was what I was thinking of beyond. Okay. Right, right. On beyond, right? That's beyond. So that, I mean, those records were like events. I mean, yeah. I'd been on records. I'd recorded with Josh, but I remember when that record dropped, it was like, oh, wow, this is like, this is their concept. Yeah. This is their statement, you know? Yeah. And it is different today. And then, um, you know, getting into when you guys started doing a lot of trio gigs, I guess more than I know you've recorded too, but really just so many gigs. And I heard those with just bass drums and with Josh Ruben Rogers yeah. and different bass players with you. How did that change the music, not having the piano? Outside of like getting rid of a gig for me. But oh, <laughs> well, now, you know, of course, um, you take any instrument away, everything opens up. You take the drums out, and you just guys just play trio minus drums, and it's light. It's also light, also. So there's one less sound, but I think for for the way you know, like we said, you know, Josh has always got a concept, right? And his trio concept was kind of killing the way he approaches it, right? So actually, that's kind of where my playing started to change. Actually, mm-hmm. um, not so much when we had the quartet, but when we played trio, mm-hmm. because there was a different space that I, I, I could occupy. <clears throat> and, you know, me and Josh, it's like the, the great is, and I'm not calling myself great, so please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. Um, but I'm calling you great. There, the, I put it out there. The, the really good, there's always been like good duos within groups that make them happen. <clears throat> so if you think about Miles and Miles and Philly, Miles and Tony, you know, uh, you could you know same same for basically any band. <clears throat> There's always two components that are really strong, and so in trio, there's only three of us, but really me and Josh had a chance to really connect even more. Right, and you know with Ruben holding it down, and so this thing was able to grow, and I, my freedom. That's when I became a freedom drummer. I was like, oh wow, right, right. oh shoot, okay. Yeah. But at the same time, there's you know I love playing with piano also because there's another, that's a whole other way of playing you know, and the trick is to arrive with the same freedom, even with the piano player playing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we play differently, we comp differently, but I always thought if we could arrive at that same feeling with that you have with trio with quartet, then then it's good. And so that's kind of what the way I was approaching things. Um, and then the music started getting harder. You know, mm-hmm. so that's that's what was exciting. Is like we played different music, um, a lot of obscure tunes, and you know, every time we went out on the road, there was always like five or six new tunes. So mm-hmm. sound checks would be you know learning tunes, and this is how we built the book of tunes. And so it was, we got a lot of tunes, tunes that we haven't played for years. Right, right. You know, yeah, I really heard in your playing um, through that period when you when you guys started doing a lot of trio, definitely. I mean, things that I had heard, because I played with you a lot and knew you are playing, but you started hearing, you know, other genres and be like, wow, man, Greg's really opened up. I'm like, man, he's always had that. But it was definitely a showcase mm-hmm. for you to be able to do that. And I always think about, like, the the piano-drum interaction, yeah. which is so important. It can kind of take over 
and take a little bit away from other conversations. Just yeah. like you say, you take something out that allows more mm-hmm. space. But I know that's when a lot of and and you know, especially drummers, young drummers would be like, Man, Hutch is like opening this stuff up and, and I mean we all know that we are the musicians so yeah. we are and, yeah. but if you keep your ears open and, yeah. and you're sensitive there, there's always new things to be played yeah and you know we, we, this is something I um, we've been when we're younger we and I think this is so true when we're younger we spend all this time practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing and I still practice now but we spend all this time in a room practicing practicing and we get edgy to play all these ideas that we're practicing. So thus, when we go on the bandstand, we, we're not thinking about the we, we're thinking about I. Right. And you only start thinking about the we as you get older, as you start to hear and understand what really is needed to, to, to make the group sound good. So now, you know, like I had those years, I had, I don't have, really, I don't have anything to prove to anybody at this point except myself. Mm-hmm. So the fact, I don't need the chops and all that stuff, like, hmm, I just want to groove and swing. Right. right. I did that. I had my time, you know, and the time is still here, and I'll still put it to you if you step to me the wrong way. <laughs> oh, boy. Be careful. Anyway, but um, the thing is, you think differently about the music. The Process with Peter Martin is presented by Open Studio Network, your destination for online jazz education. Learn from the masters. To learn more about Gregory Hutchinson's Open Studio Network course or any of our courses, go to openstudionetwork.com. See, I came up and it wasn't a bunch of other cats. It was myself, really, uh, Emac, Eric McPherson, for you people who don't know Emac, and The Sheet. And The Sheet was taking care of his his, his little brother, so um, we didn't see him so much. And those were the, really the younger cats playing. There was a good homie of mine. We wish you always well, Taru Alexander, for sure, my boy. Um, and so that was it. Right. So it was easy. Right, right, right. And being in New York, that was easy. So it wasn't like it is now. It's like a ton of cats, ton of cats, yeah. and everybody's trying. And so we were. It was easier for us to make our find our identity as players. And we had all the older cats around, you know, can you imagine, you know, I'm playing at Bradley's and sitting behind me is Art Blakey and Elvin Jones. Right, right. You know, and, and so AT, all me and Art yeah, Taylor were ben great Riley. friends. Ben Riley, all yeah. these guys I got to hang out and talk to. Yeah. And Tony, when he would come to town, we would hang, man. So all of these guys were were the reason why I, I arrived at where I arrive now, the reason why I sound the way I do, the reason why I have the drive I have. I mean, I think the person that really instilled that drive was Tony and some of the conversations we had and just just watching him with such power um, that was really like I was like completely blown away like wow you know it is possible to to be this kind of this engine that drives right and so that was the big difference now it's you know you have a lot of people trying to play the music and so sometimes people get a little lost they feel lost because they look around and there's so many people trying to do what they they're trying to do and they they don't have the confidence and right. so you, I think it's really finding your way in this music and and taking your own journey and not worrying about anybody else right and this will lead you to to the place that you should get to absolutely but I want to jump now to the Diane Reeves years 
when yeah. you joined Diane Reeves Band, which was around 2000, 2001. And I know started with um, you playing on just what was a seminal record for her, Grammy Award winning and, and all that kind of stuff, uh, but really an important musical record for her. And I think you had such a big part of this. And this is before we even officially had the, had new the band, band, yeah. Which was the uh, the calling. The calling. That's the, a bad the tribute record. To Sarah Vaughn. Lullaby of Berlin, that's what I always hear when you sigh. Never in a wordland could there be ways to reveal in a phrase how I feel. And um, I know you guys did that in the studio in L.A. with yep. George Duke producing yep. and everything. Rest in peace, George. We yeah. love you, baby. But can you just talk a little bit about how that came into being? You know, you kind of your. I mean, I knew that you knew Diana and played with her some. Yeah. But but that was really the the, the entry point. Well, I was living, uh, still living in L.A. You know, I I had done some uh, some some other things, and I knew George. Um, and like I had done the gigs with Diane, so the opportunity came up, and I can't remember who called me exactly, but it and came Billy up. Child and Billy Childs, yeah, right, some great know. arrangements. Yeah. Oh my God, and Clayton also, right? So it was put to me. I mean, it was something I couldn't resist. And I think it's because we had done those gigs. I had done those few gigs with Diane and uh, Reginald Veal played bass, and so this was the opportunity and. You know, the record was the launching point for the, really the band for us playing, right? And so that record was killing because the, the arrangements that Billy Childs did were just so off the hook, man. It just, I mean, you could have gotten anybody, I think, to play on that record and it would have done what it did because the arrangements were really, and I think that's the year he didn't win the Grammy. For, right, that was pre Which was jacked. Yeah. I was like, wow. <laughs> like, And eventually he did, but... right. That record right there was, to me, I thought his writing and his, the, the arrangements that he did were in completely uh, something that I, I didn't realize that, you know, I knew Billy Childs was such a bad cat, but when I heard what he was able to do with those songs right. and the way it complimented Diane. Right, right. You know, and so in the studio, she felt really comfortable. We had a good time, had an orchestra there, and the music just played itself. We didn't really have to do too much. Right. You know, and in hindsight, I, I, was, I, I do think you were a big part. I think you sound a little short in saying that it could have been. Oh, no, 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 no. The, the, it won a Grammy because of me. Don't, <laughs> don't be go. confused That's now. Right, let's, right. let's don't keep get it, it twisted. No, no let's, let's keep the you know, ego right where it should be, you know, at the top, baby. No, what, no, no, no. You, no I'm joking, guys. There. I mean, you really, because, you know, it was the orchestra and it was a lot of big It was band George. Stuff when then, yeah, what George said to me, George, you know what? He opened, George opened me up. He said, listen, he said, forget about all these people in this room. And I was in a booth by myself. He's right. like, I want you to go in there and pound the drums. Just hit, <laughs> just play all, just play everything that you musically can because we need that to drive this particular thing. Right. And so at first I was like, wow, this is going to be interesting. But then listening back, you know, it worked because the music needed that. And so, you know, that fascinating rhythm, you know, that was, that, you know, that was a, a hell of a thing. What a mess you're making. The neighbors want to know why I want to shake and just like a river. It's 
funny when you listen back to records that you did a long time ago and you're like, ah, oh, I would have did this different, I would have done that different. <laughs> but everything happens when it's supposed to happen the way it's supposed to happen. So that record turned out the way it did because we all played the way we did. But the inspiration, I have to say, definitely was George and him just letting me know, like, man, just do what you want to do. Do you. Be Hutch. Right, right. You know? Well, and I think that that's, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the, the uh, all the different situations leading up, up to that people you work with that yeah. give you that freedom. And then in turn, you really craft a sound for their band, yeah. you know, and, and make them look so great. Um, and so my experience with you with that with Diane Reeves was the years after, you know, we played that music quite a bit. I mean, kind of on and off with, with a lot of other mm -hmm, music, mm -hmm. but we did it with a lot of orchestras, yeah. um, a lot of different situations. And I think what you established on that um, really went a long way towards, you know, solidifying Diane's kind of jazz street cred in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody knew she was a fantastic singer and she and, and a fantastic singer mm -hmm. and she had done a lot of jazz stuff. She did a lot of different things. But that was kind of the first time where well, that was you all saw of us her. though. Yeah, well, it, it that was. was that was you yeah. know I can't take credit for that one. You know, Pete, we came in, and it's like I equated to this. Yeah, and I'm gonna say this. It's like you know you have an all star team. So we came. I thought we came in like an all star. Me and Ruben had been playing together a bunch. So, right. and me and you had already played together a bunch too. So. You know, the camaraderie was already, we already had the hookup in the rhythm section. That was already good. Right. And so the way that we played the music, the same music she had been playing with bigger groups, we were able to play all that trio. Right. That's true. And kill on it. Yep. Not just the swing stuff. And this is what I always talk about to you guys out there. Like, you have to be able to do everything. Like, I love jazz music, but it's not the only music. Right. It's not the only thing that I like. And so in in order to work and in order to have played with such artists, you know, from Common to do some things for Erica, you know, just it really is important to be able to understand everything. And so I think when we came in, that credibility that you talk about was already from the day that everyone knew that that was the band, it was already established. Right. So really, we already had set the path there. And then we all were growing also. And so, you know how we were, and we still are. We're clowns. I mean, we, we get together and have so much fun off the bandstand that it made everything that was going on the bandstand even more enjoyable because we're just friends playing music. You know what I'm saying? Right. And then we weren't going to work. Right. Yeah, I think we always bring that energy in a kind of organic way to yeah. the bandstand and, and invite the audience. Exactly. And, and certainly Diane. And I, I really say that, you know, to Diane's credit, she knew we had a strong bond. Exactly. We she knew that we had, you know, that we could swing and all that stuff and that but she was like wanted to be challenged and yeah. she really rose to the occasion and challenged us as well. So it was like, you know, the type of thing where we could really you know, feed off of each other. But but her thing was like, you know, I I'm part of the band. This is my band, but this is this is what's happening. And um so we were kinda like, Wow, okay. And so, um, and then when she saw that we were able to do the groove stuff as well, mm -hmm. I think she was kind of like, well, I kind of know you guys, some good jazz players, but what about this? And so yeah. she started throwing in, all know, those she tunes. had such a varied That's repertoire right. and all those great records. We killed them. Yeah. And then she was like, wow. And so then kind of put our own stamp, and Diane is such a strong 
uh, and confident leader that she allows. Okay, this is going to be different than anything I've done, but mm-hmm. I'm going to go with it, mm-hmm. and I'm going to I'm going to take the things. And so then again, we're kind of coming to another situation where you kind of crafted the G Hutch sound mm-hmm. into a new situation in ways. I mean, I remember one year when it was like, uh, see, somebody's calling you for a gig right now, probably right. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> but the um, we were at North Sea Jazz Festival with Diane. And I look over, like, we're playing, doing our thing, and having a good time. And I look over, and, like, you know, Brian Blade and, like, Eric Harlan are standing behind you. I'm like, you know, drummers always come to check each other. Oh, North Sea, yeah, yeah. I remember this, year. And then all, every time I look up from the piano for my solo, there's, like, another drummer, you know, like, standing up there. I mean, bad cat. Yeah, you know, yeah. you're doing your thing. and I mean, that's the way it is. It's that's a, it's the camaraderie mutual. we all have. That's exactly. what we talk about, though. You know, it's like, I do the same thing for those cats. You know, you're talking about two of the baddest cats, you know, Harlan and... And Blade, you know, so it's like Bill Stewie, Stewie. So we all, you know, CP, Tane. I got, I got to name all my boys right. now. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Big Sid Catlin, oh, no. Chris Dane, <laughs> what's up, baby? Um, so that thing always exists. So yeah, we we had a thing, man. We had a, that group was, wow, that was we. I mean, that was some of the most amazing years on the road. I, I'm seven years we did. Yeah, um, some of us are still there. 14 for you now? No, but I mean, piano's different. It's a whole different thing for, you know, you become, the, the in Diane's case, I think that she's really, you, you have helped her develop the voice that she has in terms of, you know, just growing and playing together so much. So, and we all meet up again yep. real Absolutely. soon. Absolutely. <laughs> so that we can have another run and make another record, another Grammy, you know. That's I'm, right. I'm about the Grammys, man. Y'all Come about on. trying to just play regular music. I'm trying to win Grammys, baby. Well, and it's funny because you remember when we were like, you know, at our young Oh, we used to add up all the Grammys we'd play. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah I, but I eventually like, you'd be like, no, it's only about the swing, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forget yeah. about the Grammys, you know. No, no, and the Grammys are cool. Man, why don't they ever just give us Grammys, though? Right. Well, we we get, get a certificate. certificate. We get the Man, certificate. what's the certificate? <laughs> Grammy, give up some Grammys, Granny. Well, that that leads to the to to maybe the next chapter for for Greg, and I'm gonna kind of put you out a little bit so that we can start getting a whole bunch of calls and letters and something that you've been talking about for years. But I know you're getting kind of serious about it, which is the record that's never been made. That's right, but the it's epic gonna be record. made soon. Yes, you know, which a lot of people, you know, are waiting for because you've. Like we say, you put your stamp on so many different situations. So yeah. that's coming soon, right? That's coming soon. And you know why I waited? Because I, I was I'm old school and I was taught that you you had to you had to do your apprenticeship first. So I think I've done a long apprenticeship. <laughs> that's right. But like I, I I've always said this and if it happens this way, I would be so happy. I want to make one epic record for this whole time period that just makes everybody go, damn. And that's it. I just want to drop one bomb on them. Uh, not real bomb, but a bomb. And uh, because I think it, it can sum it all up. Right. You know, and so if I do two, that's cool. But one is, and that's why I think it's taken so long, is because I have so many ideas. And I, I feel like I want to make a record that takes the music in a different direction. So, I, you know, there's so many things. Glasper's done a record, a killing record. You know, so many cats have done records, but... I have to, I want to find that thing that's that we can take us in the next direction. Right, right. To bring the jazz back, really. No, totally. So uh, we got to hit on one thing here before we go. Uh oh. What and did that, I do? No, no, no. That okay. is. You, it's funny because you're saying you know waiting and doing that one. That kind of reminds me of you know your style 
of basketball because we've had some great times over the years. This dude will not no, give wait, it up. Wait, wait. No, no, you beat on. me one game, I man. I'm not going to bring that game. No, no, bring, bring it no, up. No, we're not gonna, hey, guys, hey, guys, listen. Peter Martin's the only cat I know who's going to run full speed in the rain. <laughs> Playing basketball. The brothers, we ain't trying to do that. I'm like, okay, go ahead and shoot a little corny <laughs> jump shot. You got it. Oh, you beat me. Oh, great. Oh, you I beat me. It's bra- raining was, outside, was, man. I don't know if it was no, raining that day. I, okay. It was raining. It's okay. misting. Why, why, see, so, it why turned, so defensive? See, wait, it turned from rain to mist. It was misty outside. <laughs> Actually, no, it was cloudy. <laughs> it was one cloud. Yeah, I wasn't feeling good. No, no you, I, was, I wasn't even going to talk. Seriously. Okay, talk you talk Kobe. don't talk about Kobe. No, no, I was Okay, my boy alone now. That, you know, I mean, we've been playing. Them charges weren't true. He didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, I think he was actually convicted of that, wasn't he? No, no man, no, <laughs> man. Come on, man. No, we're not going to talk about Kobe. But I, I think that <laughs> it's the same thing. Like, you you part of your basketball, and you're an incredible player, incredible athlete. <clears throat> but you, um, you know, you always would get to that point in the game where you're like, you know what? I'm just going to go for that half-court shot. You know, if I oh, hit yeah. this shot, then it's, it's over. over. It's you know? over, yeah. And maybe that's like the record. Maybe that should be called, you know, the half-court shot. The half-court <laughs> shot. Yeah. Yeah, you know, hey, guys, send in some, some, some song titles. You can't do Hutch's Clutches. You can't do, what else is there? Uh, Why not? That's a great title, man. Yeah, because that's, uh, that's, I want that one. That. I want that one. <laughs> and you you can't do, uh, well, Shrey wrote one for me, too. There's a few tunes been written for me, but send in some fun titles. Right, right, right. Uh, if this is my ex, Michelle, uh, be nice with the titles, please. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Guys, we got to have fun here. It's a we podcast, are. man. Right. Okay, so there's one more thing. I know I said the one, one thing. This cat's got one more. No, man. no, no. Me down. I mean, What's happening, man? No, I mean, we could do part, maybe we'll do part three, part four, part five. Okay, tell me one more. Because, you know, so much great history. But I, I do want to just bring it up to current day. Um, and I think a big part, because we were just together uh, doing some playing and some teaching in, mm-hmm. in Rome. And it's such a big part of the, of the current, you know, iteration of, of, of Hutch. And that is your time in Italy. So you moved to Italy, was it three years ago? It's been a, oh, close to three years. Close yeah. to three years. Okay, so like, so... Hi, Sarah. Yeah. That's my wife, okay. So can you just talk a little bit about, like, how that's influenced, you know, your playing or, or kind of your view? And I, I know you're going to be coming back to, to, to New York. I mean, you're a New Yorker at heart. You're never going to be far, but... Um, you know how that's kind of informed your worldview, li- living, you know, in in another country, in as an expat. Expat, is Damn. that what it's called? Yeah, you kind of revoked <laughs> my my status or something. No, you know what? Um, I think the thing that's really incredible about being not only in Italy but being in Europe, and it's something that now I just kind of understand why all the cats moved over there at some point. Man, I'm working my ass off. <laughs> so. That's incredible. Like, I don't have that far to go, and I'm in another country. And there's always a demand for swinging cats, right. especially overseas. But the living is beautiful also. I'm living in Rome. I mean, you know, fresh food. Now, there's some other things that, that kind of make me go, ooh. But in terms of that, that's great. Now, like you said, I am a New Yorker. And no offense to my Italian brothers and sisters. I love you all. But... There's an energy that you can't find anywhere else but New York. Each place has its own energy, right? So New York is made up of not, you know, before you could say New York was New Yorkers, but New York is made up of the world. So for me, it's really important to get back to that because that's all my people, all my friends, and everyone comes there. And it's not to say that you have to go to New York to be successful. You don't. You can just be successful just being a bad dude and doing your thing or bad lady, whatever. But... 
you know, I like New York. I love New York. You know, not to sound cliche-ish, but <laughs> at the same time, after a while, I hate New York. <laughs> right, right, So right. that's why I leave. I left seven years to go to L.A., and then I've been, you know, in Rome. So, and who knows where we end up. We come to New York for a while, and then ultimately, you know, I like to retire to Kauai. Mm. Because Kauai is, I don't know if you've ever been there, guys. If you've never gone to Kauai, save your money, buy a ticket, and go to Kauai, and you might never come back. It's just the place that you, if you like the water, Ruben. If you like the beach, Ruben. Ruben. <laughs> uh, no, I was about to say something else, but we'll leave it there. Uh, grilled crabs. Grilled crabs. <laughs> Ruben. Uh, crabs. <laughs> Warren. <It's>, well, <laughs> No, but it's it's you know there's more to music, there's more to life. I'm sorry, there's more to music than life. Wow, <laughs> you see what happens? There's more to life than just the music. So you right. have to start thinking about now. I'm like, wow. So what do I want to do? Like, how do I want to enjoy life? And to me, those are those are the fun things. Yeah, you know, I got my motorcycle, so we do that too. So you have to have fun things to do that make you always appreciate what you're doing in life. And so. You know, Warren was asking me, we were walking up the steps talking about what it would feel like to walk a, to work a job nine to five. And I really can't, I don't know. That's not been something we've ever had to do. Thank you, knock on wood. But it's like, I think we were put here to do exactly what we do. We were put here to to travel and, and to to really try to uplift people's souls and spirits each one of us in our own way and you put us all together we're a bunch of uh can't use that word on the air but we're a bunch of those <laughs> but we all have love in our hearts and really if you think about it i mean we, maybe sometimes we complain about this or that not being cool but in, at the end of the day we real, really are ambassadors of the world and it's really up to us i mean you see how things are going you see they're trying to elect donald j trump and it might be too late by this by the time this comes out hopefully not no we're going to get it out just in time okay cool donald j trump i just want to say one thing we're going to get a little political here you should really be ashamed of yourself and no you can't sue me i ain't got nothing for you to take that dude loves to sue people man but you should really be ashamed for yourself uh, of yourself i should say because you you talk about make America great, and America was already great. Mm -hmm. To me, you want to take America back. So when you say make America great, is that putting us back in chains and making us slaves again? Because you, you see the way things are happening out here in the streets. You might get your wish. Mm -hmm. So everybody out there, please go out and vote, uh, and don't vote for him. I mean, you know, that's that's the worst thing you can do, I think. And I don't usually speak about the politics like this, but it's just like, in the last days, we're seeing all these protests going on and, and all these things that are happening with all these young black African men and being shot and killed by the police. And this is just enough, man. We got to, this is enough. I, I can't remember growing up in a time, and this was always going on, y'all. Don't get confused. Mm -hmm. Just because you're seeing it now because there's cameras and phones, but it was always happening. Right. I grew up in New York, Amadou Diablo. So, you know, mm -hmm. all these things were happening way back then. But, you know, that's why I say the music is so important because... That, that's really the only way that we can relieve this tension and stress that right. everyone's feeling. Otherwise, it's, it's really, a, it's getting to a boiling point. Right. Well, and it's just, you know, um, that reminds me of eight years ago, we were together on the road when 
uh, Barack Obama was first elected. Remember That's the right. election? Yeah. Right? And we were in Bosnia, actually. Yeah. Oof. And, you know, like to be able to get that, that world perspective, I mean, we knew how important that election was and how historic it was. We stayed up. We stayed up, and we were actually at the, the U.S. Embassy there, yeah, at the that embassy. party there. But, Look, I mean, to see the Bosnian people who had gone through all this, like, <sighs> celebrating and being engaged in our in, story, exactly. the American political thing, and, and realize how important it was, that's, I mean... I'm I'm forever grateful to get, be able to from traveling and from, because of this music, yeah. not only meeting you know people like you and being able to travel and for us to you know come together and then to be in a historic time in a place like that and to yeah. see the world perspective on it is is something that's that I'm eternally grateful for. So yeah, no, thank you for that memory, man. And we're still doing it. Thanks for joining us on the process. And a big special thanks to Gregory Hutchinson. You can go to OpenStudioNetwork.com to check out Greg's drumming courses, including Hutchology.